Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 185. We got two folks behind the mic this time, in addition to myself. That's Jennifer Rock and Michael Voss. They are communications consultant agency messaging folk, and they've got a world of wisdom when it comes to slashing through the BS at work. We have the iTunes clean rating, so BS short for bull schnikes, if you will, to quote Tommy Boy. I don't know how much swearing is too much swearing for the iTunes clean rating, but we won't push it. You get what I'm saying, the BS. So you're going to learn one, how to spot BS in the workplace and cut through it. Two, how to survive the office version of Game of Thrones. And three, two quick tricks to communicate better at work. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, you can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep185. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our helpful resources. One I'll highlight here today is the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course. And so that is simply a compilation of excerpts, the most hard-hitting, actionable tidbits from my enhanced thinking and collaboration training programs that have historically slashed about 1.4 hours on average of waste per person per week out of there. I've taken some of the easiest, most actionable tidbits and put them in bite-sized emails. You can read one a day over the course of 10 work days. So that's there amongst other stuff. Check it out. Now here's a quick bit about our guests. Jennifer Rock and her co-author Michael Voss have shared passion for storytelling that goes back way back to when Jennifer published haikus in her first grade newsletter and Mike entertained other kids on the school bus with his creative fiction. Their Jones for Crafting a Tale fueled their individual career paths where they held roles in journalism, advertising, public relations, marketing, and corporate communications. They had the good fortune to work for and with companies that spanned industries and impact, from privately held startups to Fortune 50 powerhouses to now their own communications agency. Now, here's Jennifer and Michael. Jennifer and Michael, welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. And so I want to kick us off by hearing a little bit of the backstory there when it comes to an arm wrestling match determined whose name came first within your company's name. How did this all unfold? <laughs> well, uh, when we decided to start the company, um, as well as while we were working on finishing our novel, um, we indeed toyed with the idea of an arm wrestling match to see whose name would come first in the in the company letterhead. And um, we, we couldn't do that, though, because clearly um, Jennifer would win the arm wrestling match. Clearly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we toyed with a couple of other things, maybe a jujitsu match or a standing broad jump or something like that. But and, and clearly, if we went with who is better looking, Mike would win. So <laughs> it's, it's a toss up either way. Uh, but ultimately, uh, Jennifer and I had worked together for 12 years at Best Buy's corporate headquarters. And during a portion of that time, she reported directly to me. So I determined that after, you know, six, seven years of bossing her around, that my only chance to get her to go into business together with me was to allow her to put her name first. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, certainly, whatever concessions necessary to make it happen, that's cool. And one of your works here is the book, the novel, BS Incorporated. What is the story of how and why this came to come into existence? 
Well, um, it happened actually about seven years ago. Like like Mike said, we worked together for a very long time at uh, Best Buy's corporate headquarters. And I, I have to say the caveat, this is BS Incorporated is not the story of Best Buy. In fact, it is the a fictional, semi-fictional story of a, a big Midwestern company that is spiraling out of control. And um, and Mike and I, um, I can point to the day that the idea of this novel came about. We were in a horrible meeting, um, one of those four hour, like four and a half hour awful project meetings that corporate people have to sit through where some of the people had fallen asleep and the execs were were arguing with each other and just tons of bad behavior. Uh, Mike and I literally escaped the meeting. Uh, we went to a bar patio in the shadow of the headquarters building and we started swapping stories about all of the crazy and absurd and ridiculous and silly things we had seen uh, throughout our 20 plus year corporate careers and all the characters that we had known. And, you know, there's, there's a point where we just looked at each other and said, you know, somebody should write a book. And, you know, we had taken notes throughout our careers and said, you know what, we should write a book. And, you know, we're communications professionals by trade. So it wasn't too big of a leap to put some words on paper, but it, it did take us almost six years. Um, but our, our first novel was published. And, and like I said, it's called BS Incorporated. And, um, and it's an entertaining read. All right. Well, so now within this entertaining read, you know, what are some of the illuminating takeaways that professionals reading it can say, ah, I am enlightened and better able to, I'm tempted to use jargon and I'm really conscientious. I almost said add value, but <laughs> uh, do better work. <laughs> if they are, if they read the book, what are some of the ways they'll be enriched in those ways? Sure. And we, we very much were intentional about um, putting some themes in the book, some things that people can draw upon um, and apply to their own careers. And one of the biggest ones for us is um, a concept we call finding your crew. And uh, in the book, in the story, one of our main characters who has sort of grown up inside the company, he started in the warehouse and then went on to take an office job and, and ends up going back to his roots and learning some lessons uh, about what it takes to be a good leader. And and we call that be finding your crew. And it's about finding those people and working with those people who share a similar set of values, the people who will have your back under any conditions, and really um, finding that, that core set of people you can count on day to day and in your toughest times in the workplace. Right on. Absolutely. And just the word and phrase BS, you know, I think that that's a, a rich, I think you fertilizer now, oh. BS, literally, it's a rich, <laughs> fertile ground uh, for discussion because it shows up so often. And as communications professionals, I imagine that's often what you're doing is kind of cutting through the BS and seeing the core message and making sure that gets, you know, highlighted and told well. So can you maybe help us navigate, you know, when it comes to different forms of BS and, and what to watch out for? Sure. Um, and you're absolutely right. As, as professional communicators, you know, we have spent our careers um, really coaching and counseling, you know, some of the, the top CEOs and C-level executives in, in the country, um, some of the biggest, most successful companies um, in, in not circulating BS and cutting through that for employees and, and audiences. And so um, we really have uh, spent our careers behind the scenes at companies in um, kind of sorting through the BS. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of things we, we've um, unintentionally become 
quite the experts in spotting BS in the workplace and figuring out how to cut through it. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you work for a big company or a small company or a nonprofit or a Fortune 50 company, you're going to have to deal with some amount of BS in the workplace. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw out one for your listeners that um, is going to seem really counterintuitive. And, um, and believe me, I'm a big fan of fun and humor. But one of the biggest things in the workplace that forms a BS is forced fun. Yeah. And, and I, you know, you can identify this really easily and it's a trap. People don't, don't fall into it, but it's like the, the foosball table in the lobby. It's like the mandatory happy hours, um, the two minute afternoon dance parties <laughs> and, and, and the, the eye, the eye rolling icebreaker exercises and meetings. When you add all of those up, what happens is, is you're looking at an environment where the leadership team is intending to make you happy, whether you like it or not. Um, this kind of stuff is just much more organic when people like Mike said, you find your crew, you find the people you hang out with, you find your work family. Um, one of the biggest forms of BS you're going to find, especially to lure millennials into the workplace, is this idea of forced fun. Um, and, you know, our biggest uh, advice there is to just smile, grin and fly under the radar. Um, try to be, you know, not at your desk when the forced afternoon dance parties happen. Don't play foosball in the lobby. Get your work done and um, and avoid the forced fun. Now, I think that makes a lot of sense. And what's cool about that is that you really don't get in trouble for the most part for skipping the forced fun, whereas you would get sort of in trouble for not completing your responsibilities and what's expected of you. And so what if you like the forced fun? Like if you just foosball lights you up inside, what do you adjust the strategy <laughs> there or how do you think about that? You know, I would say uh, everything in moderation, Pete. Uh, <laughs> certainly um, it's there for you to be able to use it and to take your breaks, you know, and uh, but I think, you know, the, the key thing really is to make sure you are demonstrating your skills and the unique things that only you bring to the table. And there's a lot of foosball players in the world. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yes. Well, so that's one form of BS that shows up as the forced fun. What else? Uh, so there's another one that we call uh, warring kingdoms. Um, so this is when, um, you know, teamworks and goals and reporting relationships start to get undermined by a complex game of shifting allegiances and brutal backstabbing. It's kind of the, the game of thrones that takes place in the office environment. And the reality is I've, I've lived through a version of this. We, uh, worked for a company in which it was well known that the CEO was going to retire in about a year's time. And people were lining up behind the two um, strongest candidates, the two strongest internal candidates, one of whom was uh, the chief operating officer and one of whom was the uh, chief human resource officer. And, and people were, you know, just sort of placing their bets, their career bets on who they thought was going to ultimately prevail and then would, of course, be in a position to help uh, the, the careers of those who had helped them achieve the post. And, and our advice there really is to focus on doing what's right for the company, not what's right for any individual team or any individual executive who might be trying to line themselves up for a more high profile gig. If you focus uh, your efforts on what the company needs, and that might be your customers, it might be internal customers in, in terms of employees, it might be investors, whatever your specific role is in the company, focus on doing that to the best of your ability and don't allow yourself to get sucked into the various factions who are trying to line up and play the political games. 
Oh, Michael, I like that so much because I think that that stuff is just, uh, well, for me personally, it just kills motivation in such a hurry. And then I remember, I remember when I was consulting, I was consulting at Bain and someone had to introduce me to the concept of transfer pricing. I said, transfer pricing, what's that? And they said, oh, well, transfer pricing is when one or part of an organization is selling something to another part of the organization and they have to establish a price for what is that service going to cost. And sometimes different parts of the organization will bitterly, you know, fight and argue or even litigate over, you know, what should that transfer price be when it's really just shifting money from one pocket to the other. And the reason they're so invested is because of bonuses or incentives or, or other things along those lines. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, what a headache. It's your money. (laughs) It's all the one corporate bank account to another under the auspices of one company. So, so, you know, maybe I'm, you know, naive, but it seems like, can't we all just get along? Yeah. No, and, you know, it's such a cliche, but, you know, what if we all paddled in the same direction? <laughs> totally. Well, and it seems like that's good advice in terms of, you know, if you are serving the needs of the company in terms of the customers or whomever, it's hard for that to go deeply wrong and against you. <laughs> you know, it's like, how dare you? You know, you've betrayed me. I mean, I guess folks have to be taking things kind of extra, extra, extra personally, I think, for that to show up in a bad way. Or, or maybe I'm being too naive here. No, I, th- I think that's exactly right. Um, that's well said. It's hard for anything to go wrong when you're focused on doing the right thing. It really is. Now, of course, that can happen on, on rare occasions. You can lose your job for something that's out of your control, of course, if a company's just underperforming. But, you know, in the in the situation that I described earlier where people were lining up behind two CEO candidates, um, there was some fallout from it, of course, because those two uh, individuals were keenly aware of who was and wasn't on their side. And uh, one of them got the job. And there were some people who left the company, um, some by their own volition and some not, um, based on where they had aligned themselves politically. Mm, Understood. Well, so now I'd love to zoom in a little bit about BS and perhaps the stricter, narrowest sense of just communication. You know, maybe it's jargon or meaningless, you know, mission, vision, values, statements. Uh, Some organizations, they don't have much, you know, life or breath, you know, inside those words. So. How do you think about that whole world in terms of one, just sort of keeping your sanity or sense of humor amidst all of it? And two, just communicating well yourself. Sure. Great question. And, you know, near and dear to our hearts being that we are professional communicators and you're, you're absolutely right. Um, jargon and academic ease and legalese, you know, seeps into an organization sometimes without them even realizing it. Um, and, and certainly with mission and vision and objectives and strategies and, um, and just in the simple fact of, of explaining to employees, um, why they should, um, be employees of this company, you know, why, why a company is worth saving, why it's worth working for. Um, people tend to, um, use, you know, a $10 word when a a $1 word will do. And so we spend a lot of our careers, um, trying to get people to boil something down to a, a really, clear and um, succinct message and something that's going to resonate with people, which sounds really common sense, but, but common sense sometimes gets lost in the process. And, you know, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I can give, um, and it's going to sound 
um, a little condescending, but it's absolutely advice that we have given companies and leaders. Um, go find a second grader and explain your mission and vision of your company to a second grader. And I'm, I'm absolutely dead serious about that. If a child can understand what your company does and what it stands for and why it's a good company to work for, that's the type of language that you should be using. Oh, Jennifer, I like that so much. And I'm just thinking about enterprising second graders right now, opening up little consulting <laughs> shops. <laughs> it's like, a look. Little, <laughs> the little Baines and McKinsey's. Of That's the world. right. It's like, <laughs> look, if you can't explain it to me, then it's not going to fly. So I'm going to charge you $300 an hour. <laughs> so you oh can run it by me. <laughs> Pete, this is the new lemonade stand. <laughs> oh, it's so much better. I love it. Second graders could probably build websites very easily by now, you know, given just the trajectory of technologies and their learnings. You're absolutely right. So very good. So could you maybe give us an example of something that was cluttered and clunky in terms of its articulation and then what it looks like when it's simplified and done just right? Um, sure. I'll, I'll actually give you an example from our time at Best Buy. Um, there was a, a, you know, Best Buy obviously is a consumer electronics retailer and for years and years and years sold, sold many types of electronics that all you had to do was go home, plug it into a wall and enjoy it. And uh, the technology has become more complex as we want our phones to talk to our televisions, to talk to all of our other devices and all of these types of things. And um, uh, very early on, as as the that technology shift was happening, uh, Best Buy engaged with one of the big five consulting firms, and I'm not sure uh, which one it was. It may very well have been Bain or it may have been Accenture or McKinsey or any one of those. Um, but they coined a phrase called uh, ubiquitous connectivity. And that was initially how it was rolled out to Best Buy's executive team and even that next level of leadership underneath. And uh, the great story behind this is the CEO went home all excited about it and told his wife that the new strategy for the company would be ubiquitous connectivity. And she said, well, that sounds like a disease you're going to come with. <laughs> <laughs> and so after a little work with uh, their, their crack communications team, um, two of whom you have on the line here today, you know, we, we changed it to the connected world. And then we began to create illustrations and examples of what the connected world would be for, for us as consumers as these technologies came to fruition and really improved our lives. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, so then why do you think the BS or the temptation to go into phrases like ubiquitous connectivity shows up in the first place? I mean, is it something psychological? Like we want to look and sound and feel smart. And so that's what we do. I mean, it seems like nobody likes the phrase ubiquitous connectivity over a connected <laughs> world. And yet we end up with it. So what's going on there and how can we fight it? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't want to place all the blame on the feet of consultants by any means. Oh, sure. um, we are consultants now. So, so let's, let's be clear. Um, but I think, you know, when you involve um, folks inside and outside the company, um, the, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw some things around that are going to probably make people angry, but when you get the, all the MBAs in the room and you get the consultants who are, you're spending millions of dollars for their, um, for their advice, you get the business school professors in the room. Um, you get the people who who want to be the smartest people in the room. Um, I, I think that's when the thesaurus starts getting thrown around, and people start the war of words. And um, and you know, it, it 
some of the greatest, I would argue, some of the greatest literature that exists, um, you know, is is something like Hemingway, which, you know, is still a classic and he barely has any words that are more than two syllables in a book. Um, you know, there, there's just something about the simplicity and the conciseness, conciseness and the wonderfulness of a message um, that I think you're absolutely spot on. It gets obscured by the fact that you think you sound smarter when you use really big concepts and words and people overcomplicate things to the point that it becomes um, unintelligible. All right. Okay. Well, so then I'm curious then when you see that in a workplace, you know, what are some of the best practices for, I don't know, calling that out, challenging it, simplifying it? I mean, I think that this is probably something you want to really do with a level of tact and grace as opposed to saying, oh, you think you're smart, huh? <laughs> That's why you're using these ridiculous <laughs> words. You know, what's the graceful way to to bring about some simplicity and goodness within the communication? Um, it's, a, it's a great point. And you're, you're spot on in that, you know, tact and uh, diplomacy are key in terms of that kind of coaching and counseling. Um, and, and there are a number of, of ways you can get at it. And, you know, I think, you know, one of the key things really is to be able to be nimble and quick on your feet and to be able to identify alternatives. So when you hear a turn of a phrase, um, a humble way to do it is say is to ask, do I understand what you mean when you say this? Are you actually saying X, Y, and Z? And then you can gently remind the, the individual that, you know, your, your audience might have a better opportunity to grasp it if you slow down and explain it that way and sort of break it apart for them. And I would also add that um, nothing speaks like your audience. So focus groups, um, you know, go to your employees, go to your customers, whoever you are crafting the message for, um, and, you know, put a phrase like ubiquitous connectivity in front of your core audience um, and ask what they think of it. Um, nothing replaces that good data and that good feedback of the people that you're trying to influence with your communication. Take that back to the leadership, um, you know, take that input and their feedback and, um, you know, there's a reason why wisdom of crowds is such a, a, a big trend because it works. Um, you know, again, your, your audience is sometimes much smarter and can cut through the BS a lot faster um, than sometimes the, the people that you hire to help you do it. Well, that's great. That's great. Well, as we're getting to the final components, can you share any final thoughts when it comes to communication best practices that folks who want to be awesome at their job should know? Uh, you know, I would just put in a plug for authenticity. Uh, it's it's uh, very common for us just as human beings to try to be who we think we need to be in the workplace. We want to be smart. We don't want to make mistakes. We want to say the right thing. We want to do the right thing. Um, and too often that ends up masking who we really are and probably hindering some of our best ideas and our best input and our, our best ability to connect with other people on a human level. So I would just um, always encourage people, be authentic, be who you truly are, own up to your mistakes if you make one. Um, it just makes you look human and it makes you look um, look look like you're confident in yourself that you can own a mistake. Um, it will happen less and less frequent, frequently the more you are who you try to be. The really, the really tough mistakes happen when you're trying to be something you're not. Those are the hard ones to own up to because you weren't being true to yourself. So be authentic, be true to yourself, and you'll just you'll be happier and uh, you'll you'll be better at your job. Right on, right on. Well, any final final thoughts before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? <laughs> 
Um, you know, I, I think I just add on to what to what Mike said. You know, we've we've counseled a lot of uh, executives with communications over the years, and you know, besides the authenticity piece, also play to your strengths. You know, um, there are a lot of different ways to communicate as as a leader, as a business person, as an employee. Um, not everybody's great with written communication. Not everybody's great at social media. Um, you know, some people are 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 better with a a group of twelve people in a in a small, more kind of intimate setting than they are speaking in front of a crowd of a thousand. So, um, I would tell anybody who wants to be a, a better communicator, especially within the workplace, um, find the settings where you feel most comfortable and you can be most confident. All right. Very good. Well, so now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah, I have a quote that I used to um, have up when I was still was in a corporate work job, uh, workplace. I had a quote that I had hung up um, next to my cube for years and years that said, um, the great art of writing is knowing when to stop. Oh, yeah. Um, and and I, I love that because again, being a being a communicator, being being a writer myself, um, oftentimes we want to work an idea to death, and we draft and redraft and we rethink and we rethink. Um, and sometimes, you know, it the the beauty is just knowing when to put the pen down and walk away. Oh, great! Thank you. And I'll I'll come up with mine now too. Um, and it, it goes back to the office politics and the the warring factions we talked about. And one of the quotes that uh, that I learned early in my career, and I always try to remember it, um, is the old the old saying about never wrestle with a pig. You end up full of mud, and the pig enjoys it. <laughs> oh, it's oh, fun. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Um, I'm personally, I'm a big fan of uh, the uh, Strengths Finder series um, by. Uh, Gallup, put out by Gallup and uh, a couple of researchers there. So I think uh, the very first one is first break all the rules. And the second one is now discover your strengths. To Jennifer's point about, um, you know, playing to your strengths, that was a a real eye opener uh, for me in terms of self-awareness and understanding not only what I was good at and wasn't good at, but uh, the people around me as we all sort of read the book and did did some some soul searching together. It was uh, really helpful in terms of our team dynamic as well. And I'd, I'd add to that that um, uh, another great business book. You know, obviously we've we've written a business place novel, um, but a great business book that really is in story form, um, a little more in depth than a parable, is uh, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And I would highly recommend that to um, especially any leadership team that is looking for some self guided discovery on on how best to um, to to get some principles in how leadership teams can work best together um, and avoid um, those warring factions and and avoid um, the competition that often kind of tears leadership teams apart. Oh, very good. Thank you. Well, now, could you share with us a favorite tool, something that you use to be more awesome at your job? Boy, I guess I would probably have to go to my phone and um, some specific apps within my phone, um, just make helping keep myself organized with my uh, notes application and, um, you know, a couple of different email apps that I stay on top of both our book business and our business business. Um, And then, you know, the other thing that helps me be awesome at my job is putting my phone down when I don't need it. So I don't get sucked into all the other uh, ancillary things that you can be doing on your phone and really trying to use that uh, tool to be productive for work. That's a a great one. And I'd say too, Anytime you can find a dashboard app, 
um, that can um, display, uh, you know, several things at once. You know, there are a number of good ones out there like, like Hootsuite and things like that, that allow you to keep track of different Twitter feeds or allow you to keep track of, of your sales data or your business data. Um, I'm a big fan of the dashboard and as much information as you can squeeze into one screen, the better. All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours? Uh, for me, it's uh, getting up in the morning and getting moving. I, I like to get my heart rate up, um, whether that's through actual you know, exercise, um, which I don't always have time for, but anything I can do to get, um, get moving a little bit right away in the morning and not just uh, linger around the house doing the, the bare minimum. Sometimes I'll make, get the dog out for a little bit of a walk, um, even do some push-ups in the living room. Because uh, once, I, once I get my body moving, I can tell uh, my brain starts, starts firing on all cylinders much earlier in the day. Oh, and, and I am a habitual list maker. Um, Mike can tell you that I have, um, I carry a composition book everywhere and I've saved all of them throughout my career. And most of them are filled with to-do lists. Um, and especially when you own your own business and you are working on, um, you know, publicity for a book, working on a sequel to your first novel and, and dealing with everything else that you have in your life. Um, lists are the only way that I keep track of things. All right. And how about, uh, is there a particular nugget, a piece that you share that tends to really seem to resonate, connect with people, gets them nodding their heads and taking notes? Uh, wow. You know, I had a boss uh, a, a very long time ago who was very wise. And I, I find myself repeating a lot of the things that um, little nuggets that, that he told me years ago, one of the first you know best bosses I ever had. Um, and his um, little nugget, which has served me really well as an entrepreneur and as I talk to other entrepreneurs um, is um, when you're unhappy, move your camp. And it's, and it's literally a camping metaphor. It's if, you know, you're, you're on rocky ground or it's, you know, um, you've got a leak in your tent and you're not under a good tree or something like that. You, you move your camp to higher ground or, or flatter ground. Um, but I, I've taken that into my career and I've used that with other entrepreneurs as well that, um, you know, your, your happiness is your, your own domain. And if you're unhappy, find a way to get yourself happy, move where you are, do something different. Um, you know, start your own company, write a book, whatever makes you happy. It's your responsibility to go find it. Mine's a little bit different. You know, we had talked earlier about the warring kingdoms. Um, but the truth is, you know, we can all sort of end up um, involved in what I, I call hand-to-hand -hand combat. And that is, you know, you can get in, you know, silly little disagreements about whose turn it is to make coffee in the office or whose, whose turn it is to buy the birthday cake for everyone who's got birthdays in the month of July or whatever it might be. And those are the little things that can get you bogged down and make you unhappy and not awesome at your job because you're engaging in this little hand-to-hand -hand combat. And so I've always counseled my team members to try and avoid that as much as possible. Focus on what's most important and avoid the silly little office politics um, and focus on doing, um, doing what makes you happy and what the company needs you to do. All right. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Um, I'd point them to our book website. Um, everything's all linked together, our business and our book site and, you know, all of our social media accounts. And our book site is rockandvossbooks.com. Um, you can find our, our novel from there. You know, that's available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and wherever good, um, funny books are sold. 
And um, and you can find our, our business link um, as well. We've got some interesting articles out there, some tips, um, some actionable tips that people can use right away if they want to improve communication, either um, for themselves or their companies. Okay. And if you were to leave folks with a final challenge or call to action, what would it be? No, I think I would I would go back and just reinforce the authenticity um, piece and just um, really be yourself and and do that in in your job. Do it outside of your job. We only go around once in this world and um, be the best person you can be and be the most authentic, true to yourself person you can be. And I'd say when all else fails, um, go escape to a bar patio with a trusted colleague, have a cocktail and tomorrow's a new day. Right on. Well, Michael and Jennifer, it's been so much fun. I wish you lots of luck with your book and all that you're up to. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. I really enjoyed the anecdote about the ubiquitous connectivity and the wife saying it sounds like a disease you're trying to combat and how just taking that step of running it by your intended audience makes a world of difference because some words strike people differently and you just need to know that upfront in advance. So again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we referenced here, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep185. I also encourage you to push subscribe so you'll hear from folks like our next guest. It's Clint Longnecker. Clint's done a world of research on what separates high performers from not as high performance. And so we'll hear some of those data-driven insights that will hopefully transform the way you approach your work days. Hope to catch you then and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 